0: this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Get your Bibles out, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. This will be the last for this year of our different series. The next two sermons will be more on Advent, Christmas, celebrating the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 5, 14 to 16. There's a reason why our church is called Bible Chapel. Get your Bibles out. It's my conviction and belief that when you hear the Word of God being taught, that that you need to have your Bible out. If you're ever at a church where there's not a Bible out, where there's not they're not really quoting much scripture, then that's probably not a place to be. Okay, they're probably there to entertain you. Um, I love people, I love numbers, but I'm here to make disciples. And we make disciples by teaching. So, Matthew five fourteen to 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I want to begin this morning by talking about what I'm calling values, assuming this, this works. One more time. Hey, there we go. If it's not working, I'll just tell you what to do. Joe, he's our man. If he can't do it, no one can There we go. Values. Values, what do you mean by values? Well, values are kind of what drives us. It's what what directs our behavior. And I wanted to put up this next slide. Let's see if this works. There we go. i put this up there kind of for you. If you can read that, I don't know if you can or not, but you're going to get the sermon anyways, so i send it to you. But you get the idea. If you mean to make it dark for now up here, if it helps with the way it looks for everybody here, that's fine. But... Um, there are kingdom values and there are world values, because that's really what Jesus is pointing out here. And you see I put up here, and maybe this is working too. Ooh. Matthew 5, these are the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 3 through five eleven. And the kingdom value is spiritual bankruptcy, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. That's really what it means. You are spiritually bankrupt. You have no ability in and of yourself to please God. Okay, you you just simply can't do it. You are rotten to the core. You are radically corrupt, okay? Spiritual bankruptcy. But we all start off with, are born with a world value of spiritual merit. Spiritual merit means I think that I can live a good enough life, a self-righteous life, to earn God's favor. All those years of, of sharing my faith in campus ministry, inevitably, nine times out of 10, people would say that they live a good enough life. If they were to take their good deeds and their bad deeds, put them on a scale, the good deeds outweigh the bad deeds, and therefore God should let them into heaven. That's why they have, they believe that they have eternal life. Well, you might think of in the in New Testament, the story of the tax collector, and the, um, Pharisee. Here's the Pharisee. God, I thank you that I'm not like this tax collector. And he lists all the things that he does. That's an example of someone of spiritual merit, self-righteous. Then you have the complete opposite. This tax collector, beating his chest, crying out, saying, Lord, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. Two completely different people. And that's what he's talking about here. My question is, is, we'll see, how do we go from here to here? The world says I don't even know I'm sinful. I had conversations with people that said, I had no idea I needed to be saved because they didn't know I had a problem. Well, yeah, you do. But how do you go from being ignorant of sin to grieved by sin? The world pursues pride. We embrace humility. We're meek people. And notice I'm, these words are all specifically chosen. We are embracing humility because I understand I'm spiritually bankrupt. My sin grieves me, and I'm humbled that God would even save me, therefore I hunger for his righteousness. But if you're full of self-righteousness, guess what you don't hunger for? It's God's righteousness, exactly. We are to be merciful. We receive mercy, we are to be merciful. We, we are compassionate people, whereas the world is ruthless. That's the value of the world, to be ruthless. The world chases immorality. I mean, they seek it. we desire Holiness. I mean, you're starting to see a picture here, right? I don't need to go over all of these, but this list is simply a visual illustration of the Beatitudes to show how different we are to be from the rest of the world. Now, my question for us this morning, as we get into this idea of influence being light in the world, is how do I live this out? This is what I call beatitude type of life, this different life. I mean, how do I go from spiritual merit to spiritual bankruptcy and so on and so forth? I go through all of these, from pursuing pride to embracing humility. If I go through all of these, all the way down the list until I get to verse 11 to where I, watch this now, I go from retaliating when I'm insulted to absorbing offenses. Now, that one should hit home. Because that one's hard, right? Quite frankly, they are all hard. But there's a contrast here, which is why you saw that again. The first picture of you have picture of, of Satan and of Christ. It's a different. We are to be different, but we are raised in this world environment that forms us, and by nature, by nature, I mean our sinful nature. We are a lot like the world in what we value in terms of how we live our life. But how do I live this beatitude life, this kingdom of God life? Well, first it begins with the work of God. Through the Holy Spirit, God awakens you to, from your spiritual deadness, that's Ephesians 2.5. We are dead in our sins and our trespasses. You have a spirit, you're born with that, it's eternal. It will suffer eternally in hell, because God, His Word, and, and your spirit, or the souls of men, are three things that are eternal in this world. But your spirit is dead to God; He has to awaken it. He has to give it your spirit His life, and so it begins with God awakening you from your sin. And watch this: He imparts His life to you. Do you hear me on that? He imparts his life to you, John 5, 21. With this life, watch this, comes a new heart with new desires. Now this is what was promised in the Old Testament. In Ezekiel eleven nineteen 19 to 20, it's what the prophet Ezekiel wrote. And I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. So we have a, by nature, when we were born, a hardened heart of stone. God takes away that hardened heart of stone, gives us a heart of flesh, a soft heart. He also puts a new spirit within us. Now watch this, verse 20. That they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. So the desire to obey, to walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them, comes from what? The new heart. If you don't have the new heart, then you don't desire these things. You will live like the world. See, this is realized now in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? You should know this verse. You're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. What is new about you? You have his life in you, you have a new heart, and you have new desires. So the the, the first stepping stone to going from here to here, it really starts with this point right here. God awakens me to my sinfulness and he gives me his life. Now, and it's much more, by the way, than an eternal life. Yeah, your spirit will live eternally with him when he gives you his life, but there's more that comes with it. Now, if you are not a believer, the scriptures are very clear. Because this nice, soft heart that God gave you, it's the exact opposite for an unbeliever. Ephesians 4.18 speaking of Gentiles who are unbelievers, they are darkened in their understanding, watch this, alienated from the life of God. The life of God is not in them. It's not in them because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They don't have a new heart. They don't desire the things of God. They desire this, in fact, they're ignorant to their sin. They desire pride, self-righteousness, immorality. They are constantly in conflict. Okay? They seek comfort. They don't they avoid the hard thing. Let me just give you a, a brief understanding of this right here. Obviously, we seek peace. We're peacemakers, right? The world is constantly in conflict. There's always war. This talks about trials that blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of, of righteousness. We welcome trials. You say, well, what do you mean, Pastor? I don't like trials and tests. Well, you are supposed to because you know what happens when you endure and grow through all of that. You're growing, number one. Number two, you are also just like Jesus. He's forming your character within, and you desire that. And so I will welcome them when they come. And I've learned to patiently endure and let God do his work. And in the meantime, while I'm going through these trials, the suffering, guess what happens? This is a promise of God. You share in the fellowship of Christ's suffering. You have a deeper fellowship with Jesus when you suffer. And so that's why I also, you know, know, the world will, will avoid all of that We absorb the offenses, the insults, the slander, all of that. We take it, okay? Why? Because it's a sign that says that they did this to the prophets, right? They persecute the prophets. They persecute you. That means you're like a prophet, which means what? You're a believer. You see that? But if you retaliate when insulted, did Jesus retaliate? Do the prophets retaliate? No, we don't retaliate. These are things we have to learn. This is the different life that he's calling you to live. So with this new heart and its accompanying desires to please God, now watch this, because this is the difference maker. He also gives you the ability to obey him. Because if I desire to follow God, and we live by our desires, there's still things that we desire and we still are unable to fulfill those desires, God says, no, I'm gonna take care of that for you. I'm gonna give you the ability to live out those desires. Acts 1-8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the utmost parts of the earth. So you have the desire to live this life, not like the world, but like his kingdom, and now the ability to do that. The power, you are lacking nothing. This is part of what it means when he gives you his life. So it's an eternal life he gives you, but also the ability to live a kingdom. You should want to live the kingdom valued life is what I'm saying. If you don't want to live that life, then it means most likely that you have a heart of stone. you probably never were really saved because it's a transformed life. It's the only way you're gonna live this. And you can tell, you desire these things or you don't. It's, I mean, it is that simple. There's a transformation that must take place. Now, I don't mean that, that it's, yeah, there are times that you don't want trials. There are times that you are angry and you don't want peace and you get convicted, then you deal with and make peace. That's what I'm talking about if you just don't flat out desire these things. In other words, you have people that have been raised in the church and they're no longer in the church. Well, what does that mean? Because they are conveniently say, well, I was saved and I'm good with God, right? Or I will get back with God later. Well, most likely, guess what? You never desired it from the beginning. And so, how do we live out this life? Well, that's the second point. This new life that is so contrary to our sinful nature, which has been formed by the world, that we need help to live out this radical lifestyle, this radical beatitude lifestyle. This help only comes from who? The Holy Spirit. That's why he's called a helper. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, And bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So, in other words, when you read this Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 3 through 11, you read all of that. It's code, another way of saying you must be empowered or filled, baptized by the Holy Spirit. Because can you do this on your own? You can't, you will fail. In fact, your failure, your struggle with sin should lead you to your knees to depend and to surrender. And as you read the Bible, you see Peter was this way, right? Has his Holy Spirit, he's a different man. The disciples were this way, have the Holy Spirit, they're a different person. They go from living by the world values to living by kingdom values. And it's a process, but it's a process that, it's a good test, so the job of the Holy Spirit, it's his job to help you live out the life that God has imparted to you, his life in you. So within each believer is the new heart that desires to obey God. So within each believer is the desire to regularly confess sin, to humbly walk with God, to hunger for righteousness, to eagerly extend mercy, To pursue holiness, to seek peace, and to patiently and even joyfully endure insults, persecution, and slander. You live that out in front of a lost and dying world. They're going to take notice. Now, it is in you, this desire and the ability to live this life, because... That's the life that God has put in you. So it's much more than eternal life. It is who you are. That is who you are. I kept saying this over and over again over these bad attitudes. It's about character. It is who you are. Your being versus your doing. So the more you live according to who you are, your being or your character, the more you will understand this beatitude life. You won't be perfect in living it out, but you should be growing in it, maturing. So work with the Holy Spirit to live out this life that God calls you to live, the life of a citizen of his kingdom. And it is different, folks. It is different. Now, with that understanding, you can now see that Jesus' plan to influence the world in Matthew 5, 13 through 16, is salt and light. And it flows out of who you are, your character. Let me give you two examples. Years ago, uh, President Woodrow Wilson told this story. He said, I was in a very common place, I was sitting in a barber chair, when I became aware that a personality had entered the room. A man had come quietly in upon the same errand as myself to have his hair cut, and sat in the chair next to me. Every word the man uttered, though it was not in the least didactic, it showed a personal interest in the man who was serving him. Before I got through with what was being done for me, i.e. my hair was being cut, I was aware that I had attended an evangelistic service because Mr. D.L. Moody was in that chair. I purposely lingered in the room after he had left and noted the singular effect that his visit had brought upon that barber shop. They talked in undertones, they didn't know his name, but they knew that something had elevated their thoughts. And I felt that I left that place as I should have left the place of worship. My aberration and esteem for Mr. Moody became very deep indeed. That is influence, that is being salt and light. Now that's D.L. Moody, right? I mean, D.L. Moody, Moody Bible Institute, kind of a, uh, we call him one of the heroes of the faith maybe. Well, he's kind of like a super Christian, right? You might be thinking, I can't be like him, and you're right, you can't be like him. You can't be like D.L. Moody. You're called to be something greater. You're called to be like Christ. Or how about this example from an ordinary guy who, as many of you know, is not as spiritual as D.L. Moody. I'll give you an example from my life. I'm not gonna spend much time on this because I went on this before, but you remember that I worked for UPS, Remember this story? I was a jumper and I would work during the holiday season as a freshman, and sophomore year, I think it was, uh, or junior, junior, senior year, anyways. They would pay us a lot of money. They'd come down to High University, UPS would, and recruit us because we were off from Thanksgiving till January 3rd. And they needed someone to help deliver packages. And I would paired with a gentleman by the name of Jim Kelly. I'd meet him at the McDonald's parking lot in Chardon, Ohio, and his truck was just filled with stuff. They were so full of stuff that he had to do like six or seven deliveries before he picked me up at like seven or eight in the morning. And he, just so I could have a seat to sit, and we would go, and we would deliver everything, and I would take the box and run it or walk it to the door and go back. And we were just with each other, and I was such a good worker And he'd talk about different people that he had worked with, and a lot of the kids would complain, and so on and so forth. Same work ethic issue that we have today was in my day, when I was 19, 20 years old. Anyways, he liked me. And it turns out that every uh, morning he would need help, and the person that was responsible for placing him with somebody said, who do you want? He said, well, I want Chris. Well, I was just regularly working with him. And the, the people that packed the truck were stunned that we could deliver so much and be done by six o'clock. And the lady that was you know, placing these jumpers with these drivers said, I have all these other kids that I need to give them some work. He says, either give me Chris or give me nobody. He told me. But there's a reason behind that. It's not because I'm a great person or anything. God was at work in Jim's life. As we were driving and getting to know each other, and I was you know, working hard and so on and so forth, he talked about his girlfriend he was living with, and he was trying to lose weight, and he was already in shape to begin with. He ate real healthy. But he also would look at other women. And he would see if I would be looking at other women as we were driving, and I would turn away, look away. I didn't want to lust. So, now remember, salt last week, it slows the decay of a rotting world. So just as salt is rubbed into meat to slow the decay, it silently preserves the meat. So salt is the character of a believer who it works silently within society. Now, I had said nothing to Jim about my faith. I simply worked hard. I didn't swear and looked away so as to avoid lusting after another woman. And he was watching me. I was simply being salt, showing the decay of his immorality. And God spoke through my character and began convicting Jim of his sin. And he asked me why, and then I'll share the rest of the story at the end of the sermon. But he knows that there was something different about me. And I know from Wednesday night's Zoom Bible study meeting, you are all welcome to attend. Others have similar stories, whereby our our lifestyle, our character, God speaks through us to influence society. Let's talk about being light. Being salt with Jim Kelly wasn't enough. Okay, it was not enough. Eventually, I had to be light and let me explain as we go through Matthew 5 14 to 16. After 30 years of life on earth, Jesus surveys the crowd that has gathered to hear his first sermon, and he delivers his diagnosis as if he were a physician or a doctor of their condition. His diagnosis is this the world is decaying and in darkness. His prescription, For the problem of decay and darkness is salt and light. And the cure will be administered, and here's the key, folks. It will only be administered to the citizens of his kingdom. Being, what? Salt and light. The world will not be healed, because that's the big word we're hearing today through all these political parties, the healing of America. The world will not be healed through politics. It will not be healed through rewritten laws. It will not be healed through marches and protests. You'd think they'd learn that you're protesting which obviously turned to rioting and violence. How's that bringing about healing? The transformation will not come through the church being involved in social action. It will not, the transformation will not come through Christianity and government. Never has the church, think about this, been more involved in politics, and the result has been there is more immorality than there's ever been. That ain't working. The change the world is desperately craving, and that's what you have here, whether it's the Republican Party, Democrat Party, we're gonna be about change, we're gonna make the world a better place every four years. The change that the world is craving only comes from the citizens of God's kingdom infiltrating it with godliness from the inside out. That's how the world will be changed. Now look at verse 14, Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world. Remember from last week, the word you, it is an emphatic you, Mean it is you and only you, you alone. And I use the analogy of from Star Wars: "You're my only hope, Obi Wan." Right? That's you. You are the light of the world. Now the question is: What is light? Because what we need to know. Because last week we learned that salt represents what? It's your character. More specifically, salt is the influence of Christian character on the culture light represents the knowledge of god just sit back and listen to this because it all makes sense here in a moment psalm 369 for with you is the fountain of life in your light do we see light john 1 4 and 5 in him was life and the life was what the light of men the light shines in the darkness and the darkness hasn't overcome it so the first thing about the knowledge of God and about light is that God is light. And if we are to be light, then guess what? If God is light, we must manifest who? God. Psalm one nineteen one oh five, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So what else is light? Not only God is light, but also his word is light. In John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So finally, we see that Jesus is light. So let's summarize. What is it light? It's the knowledge of God. God is light. The word of God is light. Christ is light. So that clearly defines the light that we are to shine on the world. God, his word, and his son. Now let me pause here for a moment, and I want to compare salt and light. I want you to think of salt and light as two sides of the same coin that balance each other out in this sense. Salt is hidden. When you salt meat or any food, the salt does what? It quickly disappears as it quietly dissolves into the meat, preserving and flavoring the meat, right? It works secretly to preserve from the inside. So salt is the influence of Christian character that is quiet but powerful. And I've given you some examples of that. But light does what? It shines on the outside. It is working visibly. Light is manifesting God, his word and his son Visibly. It is the communication of the knowledge of God. And what's another way of saying communicating the knowledge of God? It's the gospel. That's what it means. So on one hand, we live it, we're salt. On the other hand, we preach it, we're light. On one hand, from the inside, we're salt. We affect society's thinking and living by the power of our lives. On the other hand, we turn on the light so that everyone can hear the message we proclaim. Does that make sense? But light is not only just our words. Again, you are the light of the world. R refers to a state of being, to your character. So light is also our very overt, open, godly conduct. And what we do always comes from who we are. You want to know what you are? Look at your schedule. You want to know what you are? Look at your checkbook. Right? Know what you are? Ask a spouse or your children. Now we are to be just a subtle influence, like salt. Let me take it back. So salt or light is our very overt, open, godly conduct. That's what he's saying here. You are the light of the world. We are not to be just a subtle influence like salt. We are to be very open and blatant influence such as light. Okay? The reason for this is this. Can salt change corruption into incorruption? No. What does salt do? It preserves for a while. Salt only holds back the corruption. We have to think about this, turn on the light of the gospel, and the gospel is what? The power of God unto salvation for all who believe. To transform that corruption into incorruption. So, to summarize what light is, it is the knowledge of God, his knowledge of his son in law through his word. And as citizens of his kingdom, think of it this way we play the game of show and tell. You ever played that before? Through our visible lives and words, we are to show and tell a decaying and dark world about God, his word, and Christ. It's that simple. That is what Jesus means when he says, we are to let our light shine. Now that is always to be spoken of, or rather spoken and supported when we let our light shine by a life that backs up that type of words that we speak. In other words, it is to be spoken. And to be supported by a life of kingdom character laid out in Matthew 5, 3 through 12. Those values that we went up there, you're living that out. See, the words come after what? The being. It's a consistency. It's a consistency. And just so you know, by the way, when Christ came, this is what he did. Listen to Luke 1, 77 to 79. To give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us here from on high. I mean, Jesus Christ, the sunrise. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. That is being light. We clear on that? Okay. Let's talk about hidden light. Unfortunately, just as salt can lose its saltiness and become useless, light can be hidden and becomes useless. Verses 14 and 15. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Your light must be visible. I think of a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. That's inevitable visibility. We have a very large light in our house right now. My wife decorated our tree, she did it all by herself and she did a great job, she and Lydia did. She has these LED white lights, we never have just all white lights. These lights are so bright it hurts my son David's eyes and we joke with my wife about that. We open our windows blind so that if any plane can't see where Seattle is they can find our house and they can get to Seattle, all right? It must be visible. That's the point. A city set in a hill cannot be hidden. A lamp is not lit, only to be put under a basket. In other words, we can't just be salt, that secret influence. We have to be visible, and the light has to shine openly. Just as salt is only good when it's got saltiness, so light is only good when it's visible. Do you see what Jesus is saying here, folks? There is no place for a secret Christian. There's no place for a secret Christian. Too many of us hide our light because we're afraid to share our faith. And I'm gonna say by the look on your faces and the absolute dead silence in here now, you're being convicted. Years ago, there was a debate in the church about um, evangelism. Specifically, initiative evangelism versus lifestyle evangelism. Now, initiative evangelism, which is what I'm teaching you here uh, in our Sunday school class, and also lifestyle evangelism, but it's specifically defined as you take the initiative to share the gospel message with the lost world. You are going, i.e., go into all the world, right? Make disciples. In campus ministry, that meant that we went door to door and proclaimed the gospel. Lifestyle evangelism is defined by sharing your faith by your lifestyle, your good works, but without really proclaiming the gospel. One Campus Crusade staff member, and I'll never forget this conversation, actually was confronted by a young Christian woman. She was in a dorm sharing her faith, and this Christian woman confronted her, told her, stop doing this type of evangelism. She said she must practice lifestyle evangelism first. And the staff member asked this young woman, who lived in that dorm that entire school year, by the way, well, how many women she had verbally shared the gospel with during the year. And of course, the answer was none. She had lived a godly life, and she didn't go out drinking or partying. She was not sexually immoral. She didn't swear and so on. But no one to her knowledge had come to Christ by observing her Christian lifestyle. What was the young woman's problem? She was being salt, right? But she wasn't being what? Light. See, the light cannot be hidden. For us, it means it must be spoken. Do you want to stop hiding your light? If you're hiding your light, do you want to stop hiding your light? I'm going to look down like this, and if you raise your hand and say, I want to stop hiding my light, raise your hand, I'm not going to look at you. So if you want to stop hiding your light and let your light shine before men so that they see your behavior and end up glorifying God, I have a test for you. Put your light to the test. Put your actions and your words to a test. And here's the test. Put a Jesus fish or some Christian sticker on the rear bumper of your car. Those symbols tell the drivers behind you that you claim to be a Christian. Will you honk your horn in slow traffic then? Everyone's like smiling and looking down. This is so hilarious. I wish I had a video of this. Will you scream at the driver who cuts you off? Will you flip the bird at the speeding driver? There's a reason why I don't have one of those stickers in the back of my truck, by the way, okay? But that's a test, right? Salt and light. You're proclaiming it in one sense if you have those... And they're very cheesy. Most Christian stickers, by the way, are very cheesy. And corny, I don't like them, but that's the other reason why I don't have anything on my back in my car but, or truck. But you put that on there, it's a way of being light in one sense. You're proclaiming, you're claiming to be a Christian. <laughs> Just you're driving back that up, right? At leads right into what I call beautiful works. Verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I want to highlight three calls that I find in this verse. The first is a call to consistency. We must not forget that we're being watched. Whether you believe it or not, in the unseen realm, you're being watched from heaven and from, from angels and believers we believe are watching us and also that demons are watching us but also unbelievers in this world are watching us. They're watching our lifestyle, and when we fail it in public, it's public knowledge. And when you fail publicly, you need to confess publicly. That's what the scriptures state, right? If it's a private sin, you deal with it privately. If it's a public sin, it can be dealt with publicly. We must remember this, that every Christian needs this reminder, especially high-profile Christians, because from the fraud of the health, wealth, prosperity gospel preachers, and televangelists in the 80s and 90s, to the extramarital affairs of the current megachurch pastors, see, our works either honor or dishonor God. We must be consistent with our lifestyle. Let your light shine before others. Second, there's a call not only to consistency, but a call to beauty. Now, the word used here for works... But your light shine or, or your good works. It implies beauty, meaning this, that our works, they have an attractiveness to them or a beauty that leads to God being glorified. This is what makes, by the way, hiding your light, your, your witness, so devastating. You're not doing anything but preventing somebody from seeing the beauty of God himself when you hide your light. Let take the next step. When you hide your light, you're just withholding from someone that which they desperately need to see if they are to ever come to God. So there's a call to consistency, a call to beauty, and finally there's a, a call to glorify God. Through our visible light, a city sitting on a hill cannot be missed, cannot be hidden. Through our visible light, the world honors God. Now, this means that those in the world who honor God have some knowledge of God. And how do they have a knowledge of God? Well, they've obviously heard something about God, about our Heavenly Father. So again, the focus is again on both a life and a message lived and spoken. The being and the doing, it's all consistent. Now for years, It's a funny story, I never forgot this, and it's it's so true. Uh, Pastor Tony Evans served as chaplain for the Dallas Mavericks. When it was about an hour before they needed to leave for the game, his wife would go before the mirror of her beauty and put makeup on, fix her hair, all that stuff. And about an hour later, she would come out of the bathroom transformed. And when they got in the car to go to the game, what's the first thing she did? She pulled down the visor, to check on her glory. When she got to the game, what's the first thing she did? Went to the bathroom with all her girlfriends to check on her glory. Now, he said this in such a funny way, I can't replicate it, but his response to this was classic. Dr. Evans said this, that was fine by me, because 1 Corinthians 11:7 seven says, woman is the glory of man, so glorify me, baby, make me look good. And that is what we do by our good works. We make God look good. We are putting makeup on God in that sense. Okay? And and how do we do that? By being salt and light. We glorify God, we make him look good. By what? Our consistent lifestyle and words. Dr. Robert Murray McShane, you know, a pillar of the faith from ages past, of the saints in the last century, his face, they used to say, was sometimes lit up with a hallowed expression, so people who came to see him fell on their knees to accept Jesus Christ when they saw his face. It reminds me of the radiant or glowing face of Moses. People couldn't even look at him, so he had to put a veil over his, his head and his face. It says others were so attracted to the indescribable beauty of holiness manifested on his countenance that Jesus became to them irresistible. It said of Archbishop Fenelon, the great Christian of ages past, that his communion with God was so intimate that his face shone. Lord Peter Burrow, a skeptic, was once compelled to spend a night with Fenelon in an inn. In the morning, he hurried away, saying, If I spend another night with that man, I'll be a Christian in spite of myself. Fenelon's manner, his voice, and his face reflected so perfectly the glory of Christ that it was irresistibly attractive to even the worldliest and vilest of humanity. Now, I was salt to Jim Kelly, that UPS driver. God secretly worked through my character to convict Jim of his sin. And I didn't feel any special holiness or empowerment during all this time. I was simply living life. I had failures and intimate times with the Lord, but God was working through me. But you know, that was not enough. When it became obvious to me that God was at work in Jim's life, then I needed to be light to Jim. I needed to point him in the direction of Jesus. If I were to turn off all the lights in this room, and this was a completely dark room, no one could see. I have a flashlight, I turn it on, the darkness around me is pushed away. I have the light, I have the way out. You see this light. You follow the light. That is what we are to be. That's what I had to be to Jim. I needed to point him in the direction of Jesus. In other words, I needed to share my faith with him. That's what I did. I was in that big McDonald's and Chardon the last day. Had to take off my uniform and and give it to him because it was just borrowed and put my clothes on that I brought with me. I had a Christmas gift for Jim. He was a Penn State fan. I got him a Penn State sweatshirt. And I gave him four spiritual laws, and with the limited time that he and I had left, I briefly shared the gospel with him. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. But what about you? Let's make this personal. Are you the kind of salt that retards the corruption of the world? Are you the kind of light whose works are so beautiful that they release the power of God in you and attract others to Christ. Do you never hide your light but let it shine so that God can be glorified? These are the questions I leave with you this morning. And so it's kind of summed up in this simple application point. How brightly is your light shining? Think about that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your plan to transform the world is to work through your citizens, your children. I thank you for sharing your life with us and giving us everything we need for life and godliness. You've blessed us with every spiritual blessing to have new places. You've equipped us completely. And if we would simply surrender to you, moment by moment, depend upon the Holy Spirit, be empowered by him, he will live the very life of Jesus Christ through us, through our character and through our words, to transform the world. That is your plan. I pray that we would be more willing participants in your plan. And all God's people said, amen. If we can put up the announcements real quick, just draw attention to those before we close with the song. The um, tree back there, the angel tree, there are 14, correct Rodney? 14 things you can sign up for to help out with that. Uh, We want that return uh, no later than next Sunday if possible, but no later than the 20th of December. If you have any questions about the angel tree and that project, you can see Rodney's in the back there with a mask on, I know that makes him stand out, right? Because no one else is wearing a mask in here. All right, Um, so pick up a tag, it's in the back there. We have a Christmas Eve candlelight service December 24th at 7 p.m. A Lifeline screening is December 10th, that's this week, right? So is that Thursday, is that right? Thursday, December 10th. Any questions about that, you can see Debbie, she's also wearing a mask, and I'll help her stand out, so she wasn't, so I had to give her a hard time right then and there, so... And I think Zoom Bible study this Wednesday night, I'll send out the sermon soon and invite if you'd like to participate in that Zoom Bible study, we'll go over the sermon in in depth and answer some of your questions. Uh, Please see me after the service, or Debbie, who is, again, not wearing a mask, but who is putting a mask on right now. So, and we'll get you hooked up with that. So, let's close with a song, please stand, and let's worship.